0: Hey guys, welcome into the Faithful to the End podcast. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. Here you'll find easy access to all of Pastor Dave's sermons and even guest speakers at Graceway Church of Michiana. At Graceway Church of Michiana, we preach expositionally through the scriptures as we feel this is most consistent with the author's original intent in writing and yields both biblically and contextually accurate interpretations. At this time, we would invite you to grab your Bibles as we dig in to the Word of God. The story's been told of a do-it-yourselfer who went into a hardware store early one morning because he had an issue. He needed a new saw. So the salesman grabs the newest chainsaw, just come off the factory line. He shows it to the guy says, listen, this is our new uh, model. It's got the latest technology. It's actually guaranteed to cut 10 cords of wood a day. Well, the guy thought for a moment, and, and that was unbelievable for him. He, he was amazed. And so right then, he, he bought that saw on the spot. The next day, he came back in. He returned, and he looked absolutely exhausted. And he, he, he looks at the salesman, and he says, Listen, something, something must have gone wrong with this saw. I worked as hard as I could all day long, And I only only managed to cut three cords of wood. The the old saw that I I, I used to use, it's not even the newest model, I used to be able to cut four cords of wood. So the salesman now is kind of confused by this, but he says, well, I tell you what, we've got some wood out back. Let let me have the saw. We'll go out back and we'll give it a try. So they walked out the back door of the, the shop there. They walked to the wood pile. And at that moment, the salesman grabbed the cord of the chainsaw and he pulled. And with that pull, that motor roared to life. And suddenly the the customer, he jumped back and he says, what is that noise? (laughs) Now, obviously, that's a absurd story. If you bought something with a chain that was sharp and attached to a motor, you would think at some point there's got to be a way to turn it on right? There's got to be a way to turn this thing on. But think about it for a moment. Here's a guy trying to cut wood with a power saw, and he never used the power available. Folks, do you understand today that for so many believers, you don't live in light of the power that's available to you? You've been given everything that you need, and often you live apart from it. So as we walk through this text today, what I want us to see together is this. The sufficient sacrifice of Christ provides release from our sins. And it also provides the way of sanctification, the way of growth, the way of transformation, right? Now, Remember as we've been walking through this book together, the the layout of Hebrews. Hebrews is very unique among the other epistles of our New Testament because in its entirety it is a sermon. The author is either writing down a sermon being preached by the preacher or he himself is the preacher and he's writing this down and he mails it to this congregation, this group of Jewish believers. His purpose throughout is to express the supremacy of Jesus. Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the priestly system. He's better than the human high priest that went before him. Jesus is actually better himself even than the old covenant ritual, so much so that he institutes a new covenant, right? Jesus is supreme. That's the focus. And the goal of all of that information is that you and I, believers, would cling to the hope, the real hope that is found in Christ by faith and encourage each other to do the same. Listen to me. That's one of the undersold emphasis of the book of Hebrews. We need The body. You need the church to grow. Now, as we look at chapter 10 here today, the middle section of chapter 10, verses 5 to 18, it really comes to it brings to a culmination the explanation of Jesus as our great high priest. Now, remember, this discussion begins all the way back really in chapter 4. The end of chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, he kind of introduces this. And now, all the way through the middle of chapter 10, he is telling us over and over and over again, Jesus is the great high priest. He is the sacrifice for you. He changes the whole dynamic of the sanctuary. We'll look at that in a moment. And he changes the covenant And this is the the theme in chapters 8 through 10, verse 18. That's the theme throughout. And we've looked at this. I gave you a little kind of breakdown of how this works. You can see at the beginning, each section, we kind of have three stanzas. Each section begins with the sanctuary, ends with the covenant. So our section today ends with the covenant. But all of that, the sanctuary, the covenant, it is shaped or reoriented, changed because of what? The sacrifice. And we are finishing today the largest section on the sacrifice of Jesus. And for some of you, your thought when we talk about the sacrifice of Jesus is this. How many times are we going to discuss this? And what I want you to note today is the real connection for living that's based on this sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus changes everything for believers. It changes everything. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. So, this, this is chapters 8 through 10, right? Big, big, big section, chapter 4 all the way to chapter 10 on, on Jesus as our great high priest and all that that means. So, again, as we walk through this, note, note, don't miss, please don't miss. The sufficient sacrifice of Christ provides release, pardon, freedom, forgiveness from sins. And that sacrifice is the way, it's the means of sanctification. You can't be sanctified apart from this sacrifice. And we'll look at that in a moment. So as we begin, again, we start with The superior sacrifice of Jesus. Now really, remember, this is a continuation. Uh, As all of you know, there was no chance I I could preach chapters 8 through 10. Though to be honest with you, I told Jenny that this week. It would help me if I could preach chapters 8 through 10. Because that's the section, right? But most of you would not stay here with me until 2.30, right? For me to get through all of that. So we had to break it up. So this is kind of the culmination of this. And what I want you to note again is the author of Hebrews' use of the Old Testament and its application to Jesus. Remember, that's where he begins in Hebrews 1. This is how we understand every single thing that God has instructed us with up to this point. It's all framed now through the lens of Jesus And he's going to illustrate that in his use now of Psalm 40, right? Okay, so watch this again. I want Kim to put up there, I think she's ready for this. If she's not, she will be in a second. I want her to put up there Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. I'm going to read from Hebrews 10. I want you to watch Psalm 40 and tell me if you notice a difference. All right, here we go. Are you ready? Are you watching? Here we go. Ready? Verse 5. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Did you notice anything? Did you see it? What does you have given me an open ear have to do with you have prepared a body for me? How did we get there? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. All right? Now, I I want to explain that, but in order to explain that, we got to clarify a couple of things. First of all, as the author of Hebrews begins, notice again, as he starts, he says, When Christ came into the world, listen, again, this is a focus on the incarnation. Jesus is coming into the world to do what? To set everything right. That's why he came. So that's why he's going to address this. That's why he's been addressing this issue of sacrifices, because the truth is the sacrifices never could set everything right. That's why Jesus came. That's why the incarnation. Okay. so as he starts to give us quote this psalm, we see that first change now. In order for us to understand this, we have to understand a little bit about the psalm. So Psalm 40 is a larger Davidic psalm which expresses praise to God. Why? Because of his wonderful works. You can hear that. You've rescued me at the beginning out of this miry clay, this pit that I was stuck in. You've set my feet on a rock, right? So he's praising God for his wonderful works. Works of salvation, rescue, redemption. We could say. And because of that, David is issuing his full commitment to God. He's literally saying, I will be your obedient servant. I will follow you. I will submit to you. Now, what does that have to do with sacrifice? Think about it. There's the possibility with the sacrificial system that you show up and offer your sacrifice With absolutely no heart for God. Absolutely no desire to truly know Him. No desire to truly submit to Him. No desire to obey Him. No desire to follow Him. But you've offered your sacrifice. Listen carefully. That was never the design. But as is the case with humanity, we have this problem of skewing of altering of of misinforming of, of having the wrong perception or motivation in everything we do, right? It's not just with God, it's with everything. But it relates to God too and the way that we worship. Well this is what happens with the sacrificial system. There, there's no real motivation, there's just this procedure this ritual so they're going through this ritual but what david says is that's not the point of the sacrifices and that's why david says god doesn't delight in an offering a sacrifice whole burnt offering god doesn't delight in that what is it that he delights in the heart a genuine longing to know him submit to him Follow him. Yield to his will. That's what God delights in. And that's what God has always delighted in. Right? That's the point of the preacher. He's bringing this forward to us. Now, how do we get from ear to body? It's actually a fascinating and very long story. Okay? I will not tell you the whole story. I'll try and simplify but it is important for us to understand because it does have implications for us today. In the Hebrew Bible, we have the word ear. Literally, the idea of this word ear here or or opening the ear is to hollow it out or dig it out. This word open is actually translated in other places in the Old Testament as digging a pit. Okay, so so this is the problem with this translation how do i get the hebrew idea of digging a hole in my ear how do i get that idea into greek well what's the idea what is it that the author is trying to communicate to us about digging a hole in my ear it's that our ear your ear my ear that it would be open to listen if my ear is open to listen What is the rest of my body going to do? The rest of me is going to be glad, willing to submit and follow the Lord. And so when we translate from Hebrew into Greek, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Septuagint is the translation that Jesus and the disciples used. Oftentimes when we get a different reading in the New Testament, it's because it's coming from the Septuagint. Why? Because Jesus used the Bible that the common people knew and understood, and so did the disciples. It's fascinating because the Hebrew Bible would have been a better, more accurate translation, but it wasn't in the vernacular. And so Jesus and the disciples, they don't use it. Why? Jesus' goal is for us to understand the word. It's not to have a perceived higher, better translation. And because of that, I'm more spiritual than you. No, the goal is to understand the word and do it. Right? That's the point of this text. Is that we would commit, like Romans 12 says, yield your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the idea. That's the idea of this phrase, digging out the ear, that you would hear and do what you hear. So, this phrase in our New Testament comes from the translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek, and that's how we get this. That's how we get this reading. He goes on, though, and he says in verse 7, Behold, I have come to do your will. The purpose of the eternal Son of God coming into the world in the incarnation coming in human flesh, he came to do the will of God. He came to obey God. He came to submit to God. Verses 8 and 9, the preacher reiterates these things. He says them again. He, in essence, kind of requotes the quote that he's given in verse 8. He requotes the quote that he's given in verse 7 and verse 9. And he says all of this, he kind of gives these two divisions and his point of all of it is, is in verse nine, he's done away with the old, the first, remember the first covenant. He's done away with that and he's implemented a new covenant, a new arrangement, a new way for humanity to engage with God. Now, even within that, verse eight reminds us the sacrifices Why were they done? They were done according to the law. This was what God said to do. But in saying to do this, his goal was always that humanity's heart would be open. His ear would be ready to hear and listen and receive and respond. Now for a moment, I want you to consider. For these people, the the ritualistic nature of the sacrificial system... And I want you to pull back for a minute, and I want you to think of how you think of your relationship with God. For instance, why do we gather? Well, why do we gather? Well, because we're supposed to. Well, because it's the American way, right? I mean, you look at an old Norman Rockwell picture of Thanksgiving dinner, and everybody's all dressed up, right? You could put that on your wall and say, it's actually, it's, it's, it's Sunday dinner, right? Because everybody just came from church because that's what we do. It's kind of tradition. Think for a moment. How is that ritual different than their ritual? Now, I'm not saying don't come to church. The point is, why do you come? Is it a time slot you're, 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 you're encumbered with? You have to come? Or is it that you long to hear from God's word? You long to sing praise to God. You long to engage with the people of God. Folks, if that was our motivation, we'd come every time we could possibly come. But we don't, do we? We don't. There's a thousand different things and a thousand different ways that we have to spend our time. And yeah, I'll get there when I can get there. But truly, is it just kind of a tradition, a a ritual that you take part in? What about the things that we do in church? What about giving? Do you joyfully give as an act of worship to God? Or is it one of those things in your mind? I'm supposed to do it. I do it because I'm supposed to do it. And for some of you, I'm thankful that you feel that you're supposed to do it because it supports what we do. Right. But, But that's not the right motive. We ought to give as an act of worship to our God. Why? Because he gave everything for us. Remember 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Here's the motive. Because of this indescribable gift. What is it? Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus. What about serving one another? What about the ways that you tangibly look out for and serve each other? I want you to think back this week. Who did you go out of your way? And I don't mean you ran across somebody and you helped them because you ran into them. I don't mean that. Serving someone else is when I got to go out of my way. Who did you go out of your way this week to serve? Folks, that's a distinctive of the body. And you know what? For some of us, there are weights that we carry in our lives. There are struggles that we carry in our lives. And you know what? Those struggles are far bigger than they need to be. You know why? Because we spend a lot of time doing what? Thinking about our struggle. We do. We spend a lot of time thinking about our struggle. Thinking about what's not going right. Thinking about what I'm missing. Thinking about things that I would change if I could change. Folks, do you understand at times if you would set that aside and serve it would help the way that you think think about jesus jesus is defined as a man of sorrows he's defined as a man who he came up against hard things opposition hardship all the time how often did that hardship stop him from serving how often did jesus go into a town and say you know what i just need a few minutes I just need some time. And at times he did. But you know what his time he needed was? To go fellowship with the Father. Well, you need that too. But Jesus didn't resist or push back on serving because he was hurting. Or because he was facing a hardship. Or because the Pharisees wanted to kill him. Folks, be honest. How many of us would have went in hot, hidden in a cave if we heard that the Jewish uh, system, the Jewish leaders who were frankly, let's be honest in cahoots with Rome this empire of the day Jesus didn't hide how many times did the people try and stone him because of what he said the truth is for some of us we are spending too much time focused on our hardships Focus on someone else and watch your hardship shrink. I cannot tell you how many times I've gone to see somebody, and I'm not struggling deeply with anything, but, you know, I've had better days, and I go see somebody who's struggling, and I come away from that, I think, man, God's good, right? God uses them to encourage me, to help me, to minister to me. And, and that's not why we go, but folks, it's just the way how, it's the way that God works. How do you serve, love others? In verse nine, he continues with this quote, and he talks about the coming perfect and complete work of Christ and all that it's going to amount to. This new arrangement, this new covenant. Jesus does away with this first set of guidelines in order to fellowship with God. And that's exactly what they are. These are rules for fellowshipping with God. You got to bring a sacrifice, right? There's got to be a covering that's all done away with because of Jesus. Instead, we now have this far better access to God through Jesus and through his work. So now he brings us to the climax, verse 10 of this section. And look what he says again. So by this will or by that will, we have been sanctified. Through what? Through the offering. Through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. And I love this. This is is incredible. So on one level, the will here is, is referring to talking about the psalm. The immediate context, it's the will of God as it is fulfilled, accomplished by Jesus. Jesus did the will of God. He came and he obeyed the Father and it is his obedience to the Father, his sacrifice, that, that's what sanctifies us through this work of Christ. His obedience to God provides the perfect sanctification now. Many times when we talk about sanctification, we're talking about progressive sanctification, right? But two and a half years ago, and if you want to listen to the message, I think it was March 10th, 2020, something like that. We walked through 1 Thessalonians, we discussed sanctification. And we discussed three aspects of sanctification, if you remember, which you probably don't. I went and looked it up so that I would. We discuss positional sanctification, perfected sanctification, and progressive. For most of us, we always think progressive. But truly, there's positional. It's almost like justification. And there's perfected. It's almost like glorification. This is a reality. It already is true, even though there's these ongoing realities to it, right? So there's three aspects to this. But the one we're looking at here in Hebrews 10, 10 is perfected sanctification. Literally, what the author states to us is essentially you have already experienced glorification. Now, not in reality, not in reality, you're you're not glorified yet, but it's as if it is a reality, right? It's done. You are as good as glorified because of what Jesus has already done. So, in some ways, there is an assurance in that statement. If you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, truly, you'll be sanctified. It's going to happen, it's coming. Right. So in a sense, this is like a guarantee. This is this is what we have to look forward to. Right. Salvation will culminate in glorification. Count on it. That's the idea of this word. That's the idea of this phrase, this word in the original. It's perfect, meaning complete. This idea is a finished idea. The definitive nature, the abiding effectiveness of this purification from sin that Jesus has provided through his obedience, it cannot be done away with. It will not change. In essence, it's done. It's finished. Now, in a sense, this positional, perfected idea is foundational for us to live this. It's critical that you understand your position before you actually live. And this is one of those things that we've we've discussed this many times. But for so many of us, our interaction with God, it's framed by perceptions that we have, maybe from the past, maybe instruction that we have. But it's framed so much, it alters the way that we live. Think about it like this. And I've used this illustration with you many times. But when I used to sit in an office, and and, and even now, when I sit in an office, the difference is there aren't little people that accompany my my children. But when I used to sit in more of a public office, often my children would come to my office, barge right in through the door, and one of their little people would be following along along behind them. And before long, I had a, a crew in the office, right? Now, on what merits do all those other little people come? The merits of my son. Now, when my son arrives at the door, does he stop at the door and does he say, I'm not sure I should go in here. You know, I mean, this is is one of the, the pastors of our church. I'm not sure I should just barge into this office. No, his thinking has been so framed by the reality that he's a son that he doesn't even stop to think. He doesn't even stop to think, I may be meeting with somebody. And that happened at times too, right? And usually he would figure it out before he quite got to me. And sometimes it didn't matter. He still came all the way in. He still asked his question or said what he had to say. And then I would encourage him, sometimes kindly, sometimes not so kindly, to go out and come back later. But his thought wasn't altered at all. Why? Because he knows he's a son and he knows because he's a son, he can barge right in that door. There's not another child that I've ever known in my life or ministered to that thought the same way, ever. His foundation was different. Listen to me, that's the key here. What you possess through Jesus alters the way you think. It alters the audience you have with God. Listen, if we're not careful with all of the details and all the facts and all these big, enormous truths of Hebrews, we can miss this point. The preacher is calling you to faithfully endure. How are you going to faithfully endure? Draw near. Why can you draw near? Because look at who you are. Look at what Jesus has done for you. That foundation gives you a right. You can barge through that door anytime you want because of Jesus. You see that? And that ought to shape the way that we engage God. It ought to cause us to long to draw near. It ought to cause us to long to know him more. It won't, it can't, if you do not personally know the Lord today. If he is not your savior, if you've never placed your faith in him, you don't want to draw near. And folks, truly, if there's a party that says, I I don't know if I want to draw near, that's really the first question. Do I know him? You're not going to endure if you're struggling with, do I really know him? If you know him, there's in some way, shape, or form, there's some longing to draw near, to know him, to understand better. Do you have that? Because of Jesus, we can, we should, we must draw near. And this work of transformation, this perfected sanctification is possible through Jesus. You are right because of him. And remember, I pointed out to you last week, this once for all sacrifice. Some translations use that every time, but the word changes. There's actually a word that means once, and there's actually a word that means once for all. It's bigger. It's bigger than the once. It's like, listen, this is done. And not only is it done, It cannot, it doesn't need to be ever repeated again. It's that sufficient. It's over. Jesus has finished the job. You can be right with God through him. And if you're a believer, you are today. Now, based on that, based on this sacrifice, that's what makes living for God and doing his will possible. You can't do God's will without this sacrifice. You you can't. You're exactly like those under that old covenant. But listen, what changes is God writes this now on our hearts and our minds. In a sense, there is this longing from within to draw near. And that's where this transformation comes from. So, through the Spirit and through the Word that He has written for us, He's written on our hearts, He's written in our minds, that's what makes this living possible. That's what makes this obedience possible. This is still the goal. Obedience is still the goal for genuine followers of God, for genuine believers in Jesus. The goal is still obedience and submission to His will. But but here's the difference. Now, you have power. Now you have power behind that. Now, I want to show you what I'm talking about. Look at this next section. So we first see the the superior sacrifice of Christ. Now that leads naturally to the complete, the final sacrifice, and then the power that that's going to give. So look at what he says, verse 11. So he says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Now note this. One of the words in the New Testament that we always talk about is the word Dunamis, it's a word that simply means power. It's been connected to dynamite. Remember when Paul wrote that, when the author of Hebrews wrote that, they wouldn't have been thinking dynamite, a a mountain blowing up, right? That's connected much, much later. What they were thinking of was power. Power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power they're thinking about right now. What he says in verse 11 is, This old sacrifice, this old system, it didn't have any of that. He literally uses that word, the word power. There's no power under the old sacrifice, under the old system. There's, There's no power there. And because there's no power to take away sins, to remove them, well, then there's no power in essence to live there's no power in essence to draw near. There's no power in essence. There's no right to come into the presence of God because sin is holding you back. So the reality is this old system is powerless to take away sins. But look at verse 12. He goes on and he says, but but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of god that's it it's done he sits down and as he sits he is waiting and it's not just the idea of waiting there is not like i'm an older gentleman on a porch twiddling my thumbs or maybe whittling out a piece of wood that's not the waiting There is this expectation, there is this anticipation. Something is coming. It's like the guy sitting on the end of the bench and the coach keeps looking down and he's waiting for the other guy to make one more mistake, right? It's the story of my athletic career, waiting for that guy to make one more mistake so the coach would call for me, right? That's this expectation. He's anticipating, here here it comes, it's coming. It's coming. This moment's coming. Are you ready? He's waiting for the time until all the enemies should be made a footstool under his feet. He sits down. This once for all sacrifice, Jesus is done. It's sufficient. He takes his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. Again, this isn't a quote, but it's an allusion to a verse we've used many, many times already in Hebrews. Psalm 110, verse 1, Jesus sat down he takes His rightful place as sovereign next to the Father. And He's waiting. He's anticipating. It's coming. And He's going to return. And He concludes, again, verse 14, He concludes with that this idea again, For by a single sacrifice He has perfected for all time those who are in the process this time of being sanctified. Now listen, the way he uses these two words are different. In verse 10, when he talks about this, have been sanctified, it's a complete kind of a, it's kind of a done deal. Here, it's active. It's, this is a present reality. If you know the Lord, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are presently in process. You are presently being transformed. This is the idea of progressive sanctification. And though it is a reality, you're going to be glorified one day. It's going to come to fruition at some point. You're still actively involved in the process. Now, how is that process actually taking place? How is it possible? Go back. Look at what he says. By what? By a single sacrifice he has perfected for all time, those, us, you and me. If you're a believer, for all time, once, one sacrifice, it was enough, he finished this work. The work of transformation is continuous, but the perfected sanctification through Jesus, that carries on forever, it will never end. So we are in process, and yet we can be confident if we know the Lord, that that process will come to fruition. It will end in glorification. We will be transformed fully and finally into the image of Jesus. So, do you understand today the significance of the sacrifice of Jesus? Listen to me. This, arguably, the author of Hebrews comes to chapter 8 and he says, listen to me, this whole discussion, chapters 1 through 7, this whole discussion comes to this point. Jesus died, he changed the sanctuary, and he changed the covenant. He changed the arrangement by which you come to God. That's the whole point. And he did that because he is this great high priest. He is perfect, his sacrifice is perfect, and his sacrifice has perfected you. It changes everything. Do you understand this changes everything? And he gives the warning in chapter 6. You know why? Because he wants their ears to perk up and say, Oh! It really would be bad to leave following Jesus and return to this old sacrificial system. This really would be bad. Because Jesus is so much better. This is the goal of the preacher as he writes to these believers. Do we understand this, the significance of this once for all sacrifice? This one offering. This offering makes it possible for you to draw near to God. Listen to me today. Are you drawing near to God? Are you growing in your understanding of who He is and what He's done and how He does it? Is it shaping what you do and how you think? Are you drawing near? How often are you drawing near? How often do you engage with God? How often do you read the Word? How often do you spend moments in prayer? How has this one-time sacrifice shaped you? He finishes now... This largest section he has concluded on the sacrifice. And now he moves us to the final section on the covenant. And really in some ways just kind of encapsulates, kind of summarizes the whole and concludes in verse 18. So again, the preacher is just reiterating this new covenant is inaugurated. Look what he says in verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying. Now remember... That the Spirit is bearing witness to us how. He literally is telling us how the Spirit bears witness. Listen to me. There are some that would have you to believe the Spirit is going to speak in your ear or tell you something. Look, look at, he tells you how the Spirit speaks. How does the Spirit speak? Well, he's quoting the Word. He's quoting Jeremiah 31. You want to know how the Spirit of God speaks to you? Through the Word. That's evident here. But in a very subjective way, he absolutely does speak to you personally through the word and apply it to you personally. He goes on and he says, this is the covenant that I made with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws where? On their hearts. And I'm going to write them in their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. They'll be released from the power, from the penalty, from the guilt of their sin. Released. And he finishes verse 18, where there is forgiveness or release or pardon of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. No offering needs to be made any longer once you have been released. And through the offering, through the sacrifice of Jesus, you've been released. There is no more need for an offering. And this is the application. The application is we don't have to have the sacrificial system over and over and over again. Why? Because it ultimately didn't work. Remember verses 1 through 4. It ultimately didn't pay for any sins. It could not remove them. You could not be released. But through Jesus you are and because you're released, there's no more need of sacrifice. He doesn't need to die again and again and again. So because of this new covenant through Jesus, the power is present. It's at work. Because of the truth of God is transposed. It's written onto your heart and your mind. While your sins are removed, they are not remembered any. Think about this for a moment. First of all, that addresses your guilt. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter where you've lived. There are sins that you have committed in your past that in your mind are deep and dark. And if we were to share them, some of us would say, yeah, that person's is much deeper and darker than mine. But it doesn't matter who you are in here this morning. There are things that you have in your past that at times, they haunt you. Because you know what you did was vile. You know what you did was evil. You know what you did, truthfully, it was despicable before God. Before God, it was vile. Folks, do you understand that through this sacrifice, that guilt is addressed. It's covered. Your darkest, your worst transgression against God, it's covered by this once-for-all sacrifice. Not only that, think for a moment, if you would, of the assurance. Folks, there are times that people don't like the book of Hebrews. Why? Because... I'm terrified of Hebrews. It says you can lose your salvation. Ironically, folks, do you understand the foundation that he lays for your assurance? You are guaranteed. Why? Because of his sacrifice. You do not have to wake up tomorrow and say, I wonder, what, what if? What about? Through the work of Jesus, you can confidently draw near to God. You can confidently follow. Now, here's the truth. You can't do that if you have never placed your faith in Jesus. If you have never turned and acknowledged, you're my only hope. You're the only way to draw near to God. And you're the only way that I can You must turn in faith to Jesus. But when you do, your assurance ought to be real as you draw near. So remember, the goal of this book is to persevere. Keep trusting. And what is it that we're trusting? We're resting in the all-sufficient work of Jesus. We're enduring in the fight against sin in our lives. Why? Because of this Sufficient work of Christ on our behalf. Think about the apostle's son, Messiah, who now has become the priest after the order of Melchizedek because he offered himself as the perfect sacrifice, paying for the removal of your sins and mine forever. Truly, when you think about it that way, when Jesus says it is finished, it really is. It's done. So as we walk through this today, hopefully you can see the sacrifice, the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus provides release. And folks, that's the key. Release, remission, pardon, freedom from sin. And because of that, he's the only way for you and I to be sanctified, to be transformed into his image. The longtime pastor of Moody Church, Dr. Warren Weersby, he gives the following account of an interaction that he had many years ago at a conference. He said he was speaking with a fine Christian psychologist who he, he says is, his lectures were very true to the word of God. But in conversation with that psychologist, uh, the psychologist acknowledged the following. He said the trouble with psychiatry is that it can only deal with the symptoms It's like a trucker who loosens his front fender because he doesn't want to hear the knocking in his motor. A patient can end up feeling better, but now they have two problems instead of one. You see, when a sinner trusts Christ, his sins are all removed. They are forgiven. The guilt is gone. The matter is settled completely. Forever. Are you living in light of that reality? Do you understand what Jesus has accomplished for you today? Do you understand the redemption that is possible in him? The freedom from guilt that's available. The assurance that is guaranteed to you. If you've placed your faith in him. Do you understand that today? What a gift. What a gift. This is why it is the good News, the gospel. If you're not a believer, you can put your faith in Jesus today, and I would plead with you to do so today. If you are a believer, will you? Will you draw near because of the sacrifice of Jesus? Will you draw near to God? Will you endure because of all that he's accomplished for you? The truth is, that's a hard thing to do. It's not natural for us as human beings to draw near to God. We need help. And that's why God's grace is available. His strength is available.